This morning, thank you so much. Thank you, Thaddeus. Is that your prayer, church? I mean, some of you that you, you know, you get to live throughout the week, right? And you see so many things. And I think a part of, part of what we do when we gather together is, is push each other to see something else. And some of you get these glimpses throughout your week, but there are a good chunk of folks in our church who really, who, who really need in worship for God to encounter you, right? You, you need a vision of something else. And sometimes, sometimes all we do is see the splendor and the glory of God. Sometimes that's the whole point. And we would fail each other if we got through set one, if we got through the greeting and announcements and the laughter and the fun, if we got through the children's ministry being released to do what they do, if we did our thing week after week and we left here without seeing Christ. So this morning, um, I hope, that, I hope that you're able, if you haven't already, to, to capture a vision of a God who is not hiding from you. If there's anything that is true about Jesus Christ coming, Jesus Christ living, Jesus Christ serving humanity, Jesus Christ dying and leaving a bloody trail along Calvary's hill, If there's anything about Jesus Christ leaving a tomb in resurrected power, it is that we have image after image, picture after picture, chance after chance to see Jesus Christ. This morning's uh, passage... uh, is connected to last week's passage, uh, and we're going to go to First Samuel chapter eight. And before we go to First Samuel chapter eight, I want to tell you that First Samuel chapter eight is very different from First Samuel chapter three. If you were here last week, you know that First Samuel chapter three was that passage where a young Samuel, a little boy who has never really recognized God's voice for himself, is before us, and we see his story as it relates to how God speaks and what God speaks. And in First Samuel chapter three, this boy who is to become a prophet, who is to become a leader in Israel, is, is for the first time coming to grips with Christ, with, with rather God's revelation in terms of what he hears in the voice of God. And in the chapter this morning, we pass chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, and we meet a a very different Samuel in chapter 8. Samuel in chapter 8 is old. Samuel in chapter 8 is not a little boy. He's a gray-haired man. Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is not uh, a student in, in, in the elementary sense, but he's a seasoned leader in Israel. And his story is is summarized, is edited in in those four or five chapters before this one. And it goes on a little bit into chapter 12, if you will, of the same book. But this Samuel that we will meet is a Samuel who has nicks and bruises and scars from ministry. This is a Samuel who has ambitions that are dashed and hopes that are unfulfilled. 
He's not the boy Samuel who is just starting to hear God's voice for the first time. He is the older Samuel who knows the common and loving voice of God and who has spoken for that God for years. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find uh, these words. Let's uh, read this. I will read for you. 1 Samuel 8 verses 1 through 9. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. Samuel holds court in about five towns and his sons holds court uh, in Beersheba. But they were not like, verse 3 says, their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah. This is Samuel's residence, his town where he lives. They met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like the other nations. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In one of my pastoral care courses, we came to class a few years back and we sat in our characteristic circle for this particular class and our professor handed out slips of paper that were turned over. And being the counselor that he was, he saw our eyes and he said, don't worry, this is not a pop quiz. This is not a test, but don't turn it over until I tell you to turn it over. And um, so everybody gets their slip in front of them and uh, we, we, you know, he tells us to turn it over and you could hear the, the sort of gasp of breath across the circle one or two times. And in front of us was uh, what he had created as a certificate of death. And, and our assignment, our exercise for those moments was to fill out our death certificate. And, and, and we talked about what it means on one hand, uh, pastors to be in this class, counselors in training, ministers and servants of the church. We talked about what it means on the one hand to minister alongside, to minister to people who are facing their end. We talked about what it means to, to, to stand with families and 
and with men and women as they looked at death coming. And on the other hand, here we are uh, beginning for some of my classmates, their ministries, readying themselves, preparing themselves for ministry, for years and years of ministry. And we started our beginnings of ministry by talking about endings. We started in this class talking about what it means to lead, what it means to serve, knowing that an end is coming. And I thought about uh, that story as I came to the book of 1 Samuel again for this week. Because, because Samuel, this prophet, this judge, this leader, is at an age where he sees an end coming. Now, now people lived a longer time in Samuel's day than we live. So, so it's not the case necessarily that he saw his death coming. But we know from the language of scripture that he saw the end of his work coming. And, and I think that Samuel this morning can provide for us something uh, so that we can hear out of his story what it means to cultivate godliness, what it means uh, to create, to develop space in our lives for God and for God's presence and for God's behavior. I think that Samuel shows us one Two, maybe three things about what it means for God to be created in us and in our lives. So this morning, I am going to give you three words, three I-N-G words. And, and, and the first word this morning that comes up, I think, out of Samuel's story here in chapter 8 is the word ending. Say that. Say ending. Say it again. Ending. Like most people who work at something, most people who take honor in what they do, Samuel saw his end coming for his work as a judge, and he wanted to put in place something that would allow for the good work that he did to continue. And so, and so scripture says that he grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges. Uh, this system that was in place from Moses, this system that Moses heard his father-in-law uh, tell him to put in place, this system of judging, setting up judges to rule, setting up courts, setting up leaders of legal matters. And Samuel, who has been a part of this sets his sons up to be judges. And I think in him setting this up, we get to eavesdrop on cultivating godliness as it relates to ending well. And I think cultivating godliness, creating God's space, God's character in our lives uh, means that we have to be concerned about ending well. Now, ending well means two things. Ending well first uh, means that you do your job well. And you heard even in the video, Pastor Peter talking about doing uh, what you do, whether it be uh, you working from home with your family, whether it be you spending your life in education, teaching students, whether you spend your life cleaning, 
whether you spend your life creating, you spending your life doing what you do well. And I think Samuel here shows us that one of the best things we can do when we work, when we give our time to work, is that we do it well and that we leave it well. One of the best things you can do uh, is leave your job well. One of the best things you can do when you leave is leave your church well. One of the best things you can do is, I don't know really how this really shakes out necessarily, but leave relationship well. And it requires a kind of generosity to do that. Here is Samuel, and he is a very generous man. He is aware of who comes after him. He is generous. He is acknowledging the good that has been, and he leaves well. He is, and I think we can, refuse to let the bad circumstances that are around him as he leaves control his departure. Now, I think this can be difficult for some of us at New Community. I think this can be difficult, leaving, ending well, even doing your job well. I think it can be difficult because some of us aren't convinced that what we do really matters. Why would I spend myself doing good at this because it really doesn't make a difference what I'm doing? I think this can be difficult because some of us look at where we are right now and we say, uh, ending, uh, ending, uh, ending is so far from where I am. I'm just beginning and you're talking about ending. Ending well can be difficult. Giving yourself and doing your job for the long term well can be difficult because you have so long to do it. And yet Samuel here is a kind of example for us from a little boy who is just now learning what it means to hear God to an old man a few chapters later. Now we have to go a little, uh, a little further in the book of 1 Samuel to hear how he talks about his job and how he describes what he does. And I want you to notice, so in chapter 8, we, he talks about his sons. Or the historian talks about Samuel's sons and says that Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, was, uh, was, were, were greedy, right? And so in chapter 12, uh, Samuel addresses the elders and the people of Israel and he knows how he his sons are. So in the context of a situation where all the judges aren't good, listen at what Samuel says about his job. Then Samuel, this is chapter 12. Then Samuel addressed all Israel. I have done as you asked and given you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand here before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. I have served as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. Now, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one. Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe or, or, and perverted justice? Tell me and I will make right whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied, you have never cheated or oppressed us, and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. 
Yes, he is a witness, they replied. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. In a bit, uh, we'll talk about Children And the next I-N-G word will be parenting. But before we talk about that, uh, Samuel here uh, is, is, is a servant, a godly judge at the same time while others are not, while his sons are not. He points to the job that he's done and he says, I have kept my integrity. He says to Israel, I've done what God expected of me, I've done what you expected of me. And, and, and we get something here from, from our Jewish relatives that we translate into our Christian traditions even. And that is that doing a good job honors God. Many of you know this truth. You've heard this truth in our church. You've heard us say that leading a good life, living a life well, means spending your time doing good. Our text says that Samuel, as he's aged, has appointed his sons as judges. Uh, The closer he came to finishing, the more he worked to anticipate his end. And so he does this good job at judging. But he does something else in ending well. He gives. He gives, uh, but he doesn't just give. He gives him Self. And I think that ending well means giving, but giving of yourself. Samuel spent his years. He has definitely done things. He has definitely served. He has checked off things from his to-do list. He has heard cases. He has decided cases. He has prayed constantly. He has interacted with elders and leaders. He has done things. He has spent himself. He maybe is tired from time to time. He has certainly done things and given of himself in serving, but he has given of himself. And I think this is important for us as a church. Um, Pastor Peter, in his video, talked about how some of us come to the church and we are attendees. Some of us come to the church and we come and we go. We come and we hear. We come and maybe sing and we leave. And for you, friend, who comes and goes, I am here to suggest to you that a fitting response to this message is not for you simply to come and to go, but to give you. Some of you are sitting here this morning and and you can't name five people you know at this church. Some of you are here this morning and if you think about your job, you don't know a handful of people at your job. And I am here to say to you that a fitting response to you ending well, to you giving yourself is for you to give you. Do you stand in worship waiting for the next song to finish? 
Do you come and sit on the fringes? Do you come and sit on the edges? Do you come and sit in the rear so that when the benediction is finished or even the sermon is done, you can leave? Maybe for you, giving you is doing something else. Some of you, some of you um, are hearing me and uh, you're wondering if I'm talking about you. Look at the person next to you and say, he's probably talking about you. Tell him, say, he's probably talking about you. Ending well. It's like he's talking about everybody like in the last five rows. No, 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 no. Samuel, I think, is showing us something about ending. But second, Samuel is showing us something about parenting. Say the word parenting. Now, I don't want to lose all of you who already think this has nothing to do with you. So if I lost you, let me find you. You come back. You come back. You come back. You come back. Okay. Now, Scripture says a lot about parenting. Scripture says a lot about families. You have parents, and even in the first five books, who offer their children uh, on altars to, to maybe kill them. You have uh, parents whose kids try to kill them. Uh, you have parents who lie. You have parents who go to holiday parties and get so drunk that their children have to clothe them. Uh, you've got parents, even in the first five books, who uh, one mother circumcises her son with a random stone and throws the you know flesh at the father. You have some, some really interesting stories about parenting in Scripture. But I, I, I think that I hear something in Samuel's story in the word of God that, that, that turns us to uh, parenting even if we don't have children uh, to circumcise with random stones on the road. Such a gross image. It is. It is. But it's in the Bible, so I get to say it. Uh, so, some of some of you some of you know this that uh, after after eight years of marriage, my wife Dawn and I didn't know that we were going to be able to have children. And uh, last year we had one, and um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and and I'm not going to make this whole fatherly thing go too far, honestly. But here's here's one of the things I, I noticed. I used to I used to drive my boy. Uh, to pick up my mother, bring them back to our house, and then I'd leave, come to the, come to the office, get up real early to do that, come back. And, uh, you know, I was new at this, you know, and I, I would drive, I'm in the car, and I'd stop at the stoplight, and sometimes i just kind of lean over and look to make sure the kid was breathing. You have to make sure these kids breathe. <laughs> um, because they have all this stuff, you know, wrapped up, so... Um, so I'm, I look over my shoulder, and this was at the point where the boy was able to sort of, in the infant carry, kind of do one of these. And I look over my shoulder, and he's just staring at me. <laughs> and it was cute, but it was really scary. <laughs> I mean, because he would just kind of stare like he wanted to see what I was doing. And, <clears throat> and I got freaked out because I thought it was weird to be stared at. Most people don't. It's not socially acceptable. And I, um, 
I'm trying to tell him this and he's not paying attention to what I'm saying, this disobedient kid, you know. Um, and and, 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 and I, I felt incredibly noticed uh, in a way that I just hadn't been. And, 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 and I wonder, I wonder, new community, what it would be like for us as a church to live and act and behave in a way as if every child in Kid City, as if every child in your apartment building, as if every child that knows you by name is always, always, always paying attention. Scripture, when, when Scripture talks about uh, parenting, and when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, I don't want you to think that this passage says that if uh, fathers screw up, then children are jacked up. I don't want you to think that this passage says that if mothers are imperfect, kids are doomed. I don't want you uh, to think that this passage says that what we all become is based upon what our parents have been. I think this scripture says something else. I think this scripture says that parenting is not the job of mothers and fathers alone. I think this scripture says that parenting is a communal effort. Samuel, remember, 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 Samuel's mother turned him over to the priest. She sent him to church and the church became his custodial parents. So, and, and, and Elkanah and Hannah and the siblings who came after Samuel came to visit him. He was raised by the community. When this scripture speaks of parenting when scriptures in general talk about raising children who are dedicated to God. It is getting both at a community's role with a particular child and a community's role with children in general. Let's look at verses one uh, through four again. The Bible says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Cultivating godliness is about ending, but it is also about parenting. Now, we can't control children. We can't control one another. But one of the things as the community of faith we can do is try to develop within each other um, godly desires. Say that. Say that. Develop godly desires. Just whisper that. Develop godly desires. These two kids, Samuel's sons, two of his sons, they wanted money. They were greedy. And though I don't know how Samuel parented, I don't know how he balanced between leading and being a judge on the one hand and being a father. There is a strand in the book of First Samuel where fathers don't do so well or where children of leaders don't do so well. 
Chapter 7 and 8 underline how much of a judge who administered justice Samuel was. But when describing these two sons, Scripture calls them judges who perverted justice. That means they really weren't judges. They, they, they didn't do what judges do. Uh, they were criminals who broke the covenant of law. Now, let's look at a, a couple of passages in Exodus and in the prophets that talk about some of the responsibilities of uh, judges. So let's look at Exodus 18 uh, and 21. Exodus 18 and 21. We have, Valerie, you have that passage. Here we go. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. The next passage is Exodus 23 uh, and 2. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd, talking to judges, to twist justice. Same chapter, uh, verse 6. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. Again, the judge's responsibility. Exodus 23 and 8 says, take no bribes, for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. From uh, the next passage is Isaiah, the prophet, talking about uh, some of the same stuff. Isaiah 1 and 23 says, Your leaders are rebels and the companion of thieves. All of them love bribes and demand payoffs. This is the prophet speaking uh, against what the people are doing. But they refuse to defend the cause of orphans or fight for the rights of widows. Two more verses in Amos chapter 5. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. And finally, verse 12 of Amos chapter 5. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Samuel's sons are judges who pervert justice, judges who accept bribes, who oppress the poor. Uh, they're bad guys. And, 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 and you've no, you may notice the pattern in 1 Samuel because you've got, you've got Eli, uh, you've got Samuel, you've got Saul, you've got David, and, and these are... These are Parents in Scripture who don't necessarily, who, who we don't necessarily have to question too hard, but but what we see in Scripture, the movement of Scripture, especially when we come to these perverted uh, justice judges, is is asking this question as people listening to Scripture: Are we cultivating in children godly desire? Are, 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 we, are, we, are we fashioning, creating, developing in children godly desires, qualities uh, that, that are godly? Are we making qualities like contentment look attractive or are we so pushed inside ourselves to get things that our children allure and are attracted by the same things we're attracted by? 
Are we searching for the things that please God so that the boys and girls in children's ministry, uh, the kids that come into your coffee shop who know your name now, see you aspiring toward the Holy One of Israel? And that is not an individual job. That is the job of the community of God, this this parenting with a view toward cultivating godliness. When the elders come to Samuel, uh, they say to him, look, uh, your sons, they aren't cutting it. You're about to go the way of, you know, the old folks. You're about to give up the ghost. You're about to meet, you know, your forefathers soon. At least you're retiring. So we need to, we need to do something about Judging Israel, and, and uh, we don't have any confidence in your boys. So give us a king. Scripture says uh, that they asked for a king so that they could be like the other nations. And this request comes in direct opposition to Deuteronomy 17 and 14, when Israel was told that they are to be a people unlike other nations. So, so get this. The elders of Israel are coming to Samuel and they're, they're, they're seeing something so sinister, so evil, so ungodly that they reach past what God has said for Israel and they put on the line Israel's uniqueness as God's people. It is so worthwhile for them uh, to be led by somebody else that they say, look, you know, we know we're God's unique people. We get all that stuff in the Torah. We know that we're the scribes, we're the elders, we're the leaders. And yet. We need a king. And the third word, if the first is ending this morning, if the second is parenting uh, as it relates to these cultivating godly desires, the third word is reigning. Israel is looking for another king, another judge. So they come to Samuel and they say, give us a king. Now, there are two things as I close this morning that come up for me as I think about this request. And as I think about these elders, two things. The first thing um, is that these elders do not trust that the God who brought them leaders before will bring them leaders in the same way later. These elders are looking at Samuel, and I think they may be forgetting that God brought Samuel to them. These elders who know the history are forgetting the history that they know. Think about that, church. Think about that new community. Think about it as we are a church. Look at that person, the same person you talked to earlier and say, wake up, you need to hear this. Nudge him, say, wake up, you need to hear this. 
Think about forgetting and remembering how God brought uh, Israel judges and leaders. The, the, for us as a church, we are a church uh, that plants churches. We are a church who is, 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 is envisioning as God's people uh, to reach the world. In order to reach the world, we need to uh, reach the major city centers. In order to reach major city centers, we will plant gospel-centered churches. And church, if we forget how God brought leaders in New Community Logan Square. If we forget how God brought core teams and launch teams, pastors and staff and ministry to Logan Square. If we forget how God has given us a church, people who are committed, leadership for New Community Bronzeville. We will forget that the same God that did those things before will do the same things in the future. These elders, I think, I, think they, I think they lost touch with the God of their history. Lastly, I think that these elders uh, forgot that God could use any circumstance. That the God who reigns over Israel could use any circumstance To keep Israel as God's own special treasure. Imagine, imagine God having to be surprised by a leadership question. Is God surprised by something that comes up in your life that surprises you? Is God surprised because you I am surprised. No, no, God is not surprised. God knows your end. God knows your middle. God knows your ending. God knows you. God knows you. God knows you. And there is nothing that happens in your life, that happens in our church's life, that happens in the community of Israel's life that takes God off guard. You need to know that in general. Because some of you don't really, some of you are really shaky on that. Some of you look at your lives and you say, "Ah, I'm not sure that God knows about this. And you pray as if God doesn't know about this. But when you know that God knows you're in from your beginning, you pray differently. It's not as important to get every detail in the prayer. It's not as important as much as it is to lay yourself before a God who can be trusted with your tomorrow just like he could be with yesterday. So what does it mean for God to reign over you? What does it mean for Christ to reign over you? Does it mean that that you need to live differently? Does it mean that you need to give differently? Does it mean that you need to change your life? It means that, it means that, it means that. When Christ reigns over you, when God is your king and not the little king that you choose, not the other Saul that you put in place, but when God is reigning over us, Everything is different. Everything changes. Everything is captured by the God who has been, as Hebrew says, yesterday the same, today the same, forevermore. (laughs) 
these leaders come to Samuel and they ask him to appoint a king. And God speaks to Samuel and says, do everything they ask. Because I can use this circumstance too. Do everything they ask. Let's go through the motions. In fact, I will get inside the decision that the elders have made for my own sake, for my own glory, and I will still reign over Israel. We can pick a king. I'll use the king. We can pick something that wasn't necessarily in your original vision, Samuel. I don't want you to beat yourself up about this. I can use that too. So if you're surprised because God is not acting in a way that you thought God would act, God can use surprises. If you're caught off guard because the way that you needed to be made isn't coming the way you thought it would come, God can use the alternative route. If you are wondering whether or not God can do something with the mess, maybe that you made, maybe that somebody made with you in mind, God can use that circumstance too. You know why? Because he's king. Because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is in control. Superintending your life. Pulling the strings if you have to use that language. Monitoring your life. Changing your course. Responding. Being God always. Not being surprised. Not being frantic. Always being God. Always being God. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, you are always being God. In a moment, church, uh, you, will, you will be able to um, worship and to, to reflect and just to hear uh, God. Um, and, 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 and we will have our time of communion. I'm going to ask communion service to come and uh, to station yourselves. But I, but I, but I want you to think um, over what you've heard so far in the service, what you've heard in the message, what you've heard in worship. And I want, you, I want you to hear what you need to hear, whether it's something about ending, whether it's something about what it means for us as a church to, to, um, to, to take seriously the lives of others and parenting a community, whether it means something. I want, I want you to hear for a moment. This may just be, this may just be a, a, a confession, a prayer for some of you. It may just be worship. But can you just confess the kingship of Jesus over your life? Just as a moment. Just tell them, Jesus, you are king. You reign over me. You reign over me. You reign over me.
Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you. Say, Jesus, you my King. Jesus, you The Gospels tell us that on the first day of the week, the day our Lord rose from the dead, he appeared to some of his disciples was made known to them in the breaking of bread. It is true for us as well. Christ is made known to us as we break this bread and drink this cup together. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we reflect on our reasons for thanksgiving and faith and our need for forgiveness and love. Take a moment, church, and remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who called us to share in this meal together and thoughtfully examine the state of your faithfulness and unity with his church, his body. come to the table this morning, as you come to whichever station you do, be nourished by the Lord himself as we celebrate together. When you're ready, our worship team will lead us in song, and so feel led, be led to participate. Come to the table whenever you're ready. God, as we go, may we go knowing that you are awesome in this place, that you are awesome in our hearts, and that you do awesome things in our lives. May we be your people this week as we live our lives from this day to the next time we gather to every day after that. New community, I want to just point out a couple of things and And I didn't say this before communion started, but I'm going to ask our servants who are here to pray that you come up in the front. And if you would like prayer today after service, um, several folks, if you can make yourselves come available, come on back up this way. Brian, Lauren, Erica, um, Abby, I thought I saw if she's able. You'll notice that we are going to be much more intentional about prayer this year. Our monthly prayer gatherings will be starting in February. We want you to be aware of that, plan to come. And secondly, you'll notice in our bulletin, 
in what I call that war shack of a bulletin, uh, uh, Nina, um, that, that our scriptures are there for you to reflect upon along with Bible reading plans and so on. So be intentional about these two areas of your life of prayer and reflecting on scripture. So if you need prayer, if you'd like prayer about anything, come up to any one of these folks to pray. Otherwise, have a great week. Have a splendid, winsome week. Winsome is the word for the week. Take care, everybody.